0: So anointed. Wow, wow, wow! What a what a hot day, isn't it? <laughs> awesome. awesome. Reminds you of Africa, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, just like home, Rob. Well, welcome. My goodness. Uh, it's so I love Sundays. It's so good to see you, and we just love you guys. Uh, coming a week after week, you guys are so amazing, and. We just are so amazed and thankful for how the Lord's led each one here, and, and it's just such a blessing to see you every week, and so I was just thanking God just now for you amazing people. So if you are new here, are there any new people? Oh, okay. We don't have new people today. Well, um, then I guess I don't have to go into my regular spiel, but I will anyway. <laughs> But a short version, but you guys all know that we've been in this series since January. I guess it is possible to have a series this long, <laughs> but I'm I'm thankful to be able, this is the kind of stuff, this really impacted my life uh, years ago when I first started hearing this and I, I, like I said, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to teach in this in length and so I don't know how many more weeks we're going to go, but we're going to finish um we're going to finish it, and so it might be June, I don't know. We'll see what, what God does. But for those of you who haven't been here for a while, um, we all hopefully know by now that we're all going to stand before Jesus one day and be judged according to what we've done in this temporal life, whether good or bad. So we're talking about believer, believers' judgments and if you, you want previous messages, we talk. I talk in length about what that looks like. Uh, so you can feel free to uh, email us at OttawaCatchTheFire.com, and we'll send them to you. Um, but the point is, because we're talking about the believer's judgment, there's going to be rewards given out and losses suffered. And I, I remind us of this every week because of the truth of it and the weightiness of it. If we can get a hold of what that looks like, we're going to live life totally different. That's, by the way, I forgot to mention, the whole point of this series is to, ad- the series is basically the importance of adopting an eternal perspective and how critical that is. Honestly, in our, if we can get a hold of this, it's going to change the way we live completely. If we can get, because often the mundaneness of life, you know, we just for, we don't think about the eternal very often. And churches, unfortunately, don't preach this very often. Well, maybe they do, not in my experience. And so it's just good for us to constantly be reminded of the importance of every single thing we do in this life matters in eternity. Everything, even giving someone a cold cup of water or coconut water, Caroline. Thank you for that. It has. Jesus says you will get rewarded for that, even if you give someone a cold cup of water in my name. And so everything, even the seemingly insignificant, matters. And that's what I want us to get a hold of because we've talked about this before, living without regret. We can have everything we've done in this life totally burnt up. Um, and that's, if you don't know, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. If we, don't, if we don't do it well, right? We might still be saved, but every single thing we've done in this life has the potential of being burnt up if our motives are wrong or whatever, if we don't live for the Lord. And to everywhere to ruling and reigning beside Christ on his throne, which is Revelation 321, and everything in between, meaning there's a whole range of rewards and given, depending on how we live this temporal life. Now, why that matters is because this, these judgments, when we stand before the Lord, the judgments he gives us are eternal, they're forever, and that's what's hard to grasp, is that the fact that how we steward this life is going to impact our eternal destiny. The authority we have, the positions we have, the rewards we have forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And, ever. and that's from Hebrews 6 too. They're never going to be changed. So we want to live this life to the full, fullness, don't we? For the Lord so that we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll give you authority over many things. Come and share your master's happiness My whole point of this is that it would be good for us to find out what God has for us now rather than being surprised by these things on judgment day, right? I want us to be thoroughly equipped so that we're not going to be surprised, so that we can live for eternity and stand before him with confidence, which the scripture is clear we can do. Now, the reason I've been talking about this so long is because there's so much on this topic that you can talk about it this long and still keep going, right? It's been almost a half a year. Granted, I haven't spoken every week, but, right, we're almost in June now. and I'm still talking about this because there's so much on it, which is why it's so tragic that not very many churches preach on it, in my experience, um, because it, it's not—we it, uh, can and we should be focusing on it. There's a reason there's so much on it so that we can be confident when we stand before the Lord one day. Now, um, the believer's judgment, I've uh, mentioned this before, is going to be divided in two major categories. The last three messages I focused on, the first one, which is our involvement in building the kingdom of God according to our callings and gifts. Like I said, if you want, you can get the messages, post them on Facebook, or you can email us. Now we're going to shift gears to number two, how we build individual lives, including our own. So, there's two parts to that. The first is what we're focusing on today in regard to other people's lives according to our influence upon them. Okay? So, we're going to be focusing on that. Now, before I go on, I always want to remind us our judgment's going to be a byproduct of how we respond to His Spirit and His Word, what we believed in our obedience to Him. And Uh, I've talked about this in detail before. Our works, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our motives are all going to be examined on that day in all of these cases. And so it's all going to be laid bare. And we're going to have to give give an account. Even if our outward appearance looks good, if our motives are wrong, that's not going to get rewarded. And this is clear in Scripture. I mean, uh, just look at the Sermon on the Mount, Right? If you pray before men to be seen by them, Jesus says, that's your reward. But if you do it before your father in secret, then he'll reward you in heaven. Right? and he's, Then Jesus says, so store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because this temporal realm is going to be gone like that. And the foolish people live for today. But those who are wise live for, for eternity. Okay, so it's important for us to get a hold of this and live for eternity. Now, today I'm going to be uh, shifting gears So there is a little bit of overlap from last time, but I'm going to be moving on, talking about two similar but different parables. Now the reason I say that is because these two parables are often read as if Jesus is saying the same thing because they are similar, but they're not. No, I shouldn't say that. They are similar, but they're different in a really important way, and I'm going to be talking all about that in detail today. Okay, so the first one is the parable of the talents. And I talked about this last time, so I'm just going to quickly refresh our memory and then move on. But it's important for me to refresh your memory because this is the first parable that uh, I'm contrasting the second one with, okay? So if you remember from last time, I talked about this represents different levels, quote-unquote, of callings and giftings. And if you don't know, this is Matthew 25, 16 through 30. So I'm just going to give you the first part because that illustrates really what I want to focus on. So this is verse 14. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them, right? We're talking about calling. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to uh, another one talent, each according to their ability. And I talked about last time how God gives us our abilities, right? And so... um, Anyway, then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the one, our man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So just a review from last time, this parable illustrates that believers are given different levels of callings and gifts according to his own ability. Now, some people are called to reach nations, other people are called to reach cities, other people are called to reach home groups, right? So if you're a one-talent person, then it, it, it's not good for us to covet the five-talent person's callings and gifts, right? We talked all about this last time, because God didn't call you to be a five-talent person, he called you to be a one-talent person. So the important thing is that we steward what God's entrusted us with, because we're not all called to be Billy Graham's and Reinhard Bonkies. Right. The important thing is to find out what we're called to and be content with that and be faithful with that, whether it's one, two, or five talents, so to speak. Okay? And so that's really important because I talked last time about how destructive envy and selfish ambition are. And if we're coveting other people's callings, then that's inevitable, and that results in every evil thing. Remember what James says that in chapter 3? Envy and selfish ambition produces every evil thing. And so it's important for us to be content so that we don't fall into envy and selfish ambition, which the one talent person might have done, right? Maybe that's why he had his talent. He was, well, anyway, maybe not. Now, I I have this down here. If you weren't here last week, because I talked about this parable in depth last week, I have the link for the audio of last week's message uh, for when I post this. Okay, But what I want to point out, again, because I'm contrasting this parable with another one later, notice the two who doubled what they are entrusted with were rewarded with the exact same praise. So the two and the five-talent person both doubled, and it's not like the Lord said to the five-talent person, hey, you did way better. It's because that person began with five talents because he had more abilities, right? So the point is that both of them were faithful and diligent, and the level five servant was not praised any more than the level two servant. And that's important. So if you're a level two servant, so to speak, with two talents, you're going to have the potential to get the, the reward. And this is the reward or the praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I have the word faithful underlined for a reason, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But notice that... Your faithfulness in this life, how you stewarded the talents God gave you is going to determine the authority he gives you in the age to come. How you steward your calling, okay? He says, I'm going to put you in charge of many things because you're faithful with the few things I gave you in this life. Okay? So the point is God only requires us to be faithful with what he's given us. And that's the point I made last time. Now I like this quote. This is from John Bevere, and by the way, um, like I I say this a lot, because I got to give him credit. His book, Driven by Eternity, is amazing, and I'm I'm really using it for a textbook in this series because it's so good. And it's the book that really changed my life when I first read it in 2007. This this quote's actually from his new book. Apparently, I found, I saw it online. But get this, this is is an interesting statement. We often equate faithfulness with being steadfast, consistent, dependable, reliable, loyal, true, trustworthy, devoted, and truthful. But if we look at Jesus' teaching, he equates faithfulness with something else. Multiplication. Whatever God gives to us, he expects us to multiply and present back to him. Would you go back one slide, Jennifer? Why did he call them faithful? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Why? Because they multiplied the few things. Isn't that interesting? So he actually equates faithfulness with multiplication. I was told, and I I, I tried to mention this last time, don't quote me on this because I I haven't looked into myself, but something like a third... Of the times the Bible talks about righteousness is in the context of stewardship, specifically with money. So it's an interesting concept, isn't it? We don't often equate righteousness with stewardship, but God does. And you look at these parables, it has to do with stewarding money, right? And of course, money is representing other things, like callings and stuff. But the, the fact is he's using talents, which is a portion of money. Okay, so the key point is God ordained certain works for us to do and will be judged before his throne for whether or not we walked in his plan for a life, not for how well we executed our own plans or walked in someone else's calling. And I talked about this the last three times, if you're interested. The important thing is that results are not the indication of success. Obedience is, right? Like I said, if you're a two-talent person, if you gain two more, you're getting the same praise as the five-talent person who gained five more. Okay. So our goal should be to fulfill the task God has given us and not chase after someone else's calling. Now I'm going to go on to the second parable that we often treat as the same, but it's not the same. And I'm going to show you how it's different, okay? This is the parable of the 10 minus, and this is in Luke's gospel. The point of this parable, at least one of the main points, is multiplying what we've been given, okay, is the key to this parable, so I'll just read it to you. This is from Luke 19, 11 through 27. While they are listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought, thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, and this is Jesus talking, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king in return. So he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Notice the difference already. The first parable had three people. This one has 10 people. Another major difference, and I'm going to emphasize this a lot, is that they are each given the exact same amount of money in this parable, one mina each, whereas the talent one, the point was they got three different amounts, one, three, uh, two, and five, Right? So you see the differences already, because he's making a different point with this one. Now, if you don't know, a mina is also a portion of money. is about three months' wages. Okay, so moving on. Verse 14, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home, talking about the second coming of Christ. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they've had, they have gained with it. This is representing the judgment seat of Christ now. The first came and said, sir, your mine has earned 10 more. Now look at Jesus' praise. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Okay? Now look at the second person. The second came and said, sir, your mine has earned five more. And the, the, the reward is different. Notice this. He doesn't say, well done, my good uh, servant. He says, you take charge of five cities. So he doesn't get the same amount of praise. Nonetheless, he multiplied it five times, and that directly influenced how much authority he's given in the age to come. Notice that. The guy who multiplied the one minor to ten got char- took charge of ten cities in the age to come. The one who multiplied the one by five... You see the proportion; It's directly proportional. You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came. This is verse 20. Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it and laid it in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I'll judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. Right? So he equates this with wickedness. Isn't that interesting? With doing nothing with what the Lord's entrusted you with. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said, verse 24, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10, right? They, they sense this injustice, like, wait a minute, that guy already has 10. Why are you giving it to him? Look what Jesus says. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now the note I have down here, God will entrust us with more if we do well with what he's given us by multiplying it. Why did he give the one minor to the person who had ten? Because that guy was faithful with the one and got ten. And so Jesus is like, I can trust you to do something with that minus. So give it to that guy because he's actually going to do something with it. Right? I talked about that last time. It's something similar when we talked about the talents that you can actually lose your calling. We've talked about that, right? You just look at Saul and David because Saul squandered his calling. The Lord said, I'm going to take that away from you, 1 Samuel 13, and give it to someone who's better than you. Someone who has a man after my own heart. Talking about David. So it's important for us to be faithful stewards of what God's called us to. It's also important for us to steward what he's entrusted with us according to this parable too. And so last time I talked about, and I think this is an important point to make, that it's important not to covet other people's callings. That's not to say that God doesn't, if you're faithful, give, entrust you with more than he originally intended. And I gave you example, David for example, but I gave you real life examples of people who are walking in another person's calling because they squandered it. Remember what Reinhard Bonnke, he was God's third choice, God told him. Same with Catherine Coleman, because two men prior decided, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go to Africa and do what you, call. So, so he gave it to someone who would. This is the same thing. So we got, it's important that we're faithful with what he's entrusted with. But that being said, it's God's sovereign choice who he chooses to give you more of the calling, if that makes sense. So coveting Reinhard Bonnke's calling is not going to do you good. That's going to do you bad. <laughs> but if, on the other hand, if God says, I'm going to give you more authority because you've been faithful, then it's your burden, really, to receive that. Because too much is given, much is required, and it's a burden. You're, you're held to a higher level. We've talked about that before, right? But there's a lot of glory on that, too. So anyway, moving on. So I've already made some of these points, but it's worth... Emphasizing, because like I said, I'm distinguishing this parable from the one in Matthew, the, the one of the talents. This parable, each person's given the exact same amount, one mina. Therefore, this parable does not illustrate that believers are given different levels of calling like the parable of the talents, right? Because they're all given the same amount in this parable. The key point is this parable illustrates that we can multiply what every believer is given. Okay, so for example, we're all given the truth of God's word, our foundational faith, the covenantal blessings that are given to each believer, etc. etc. When we're when we're talking about that, we're all on the same level. Does that make sense? Just like the ten men were each given ten minas, we all have the same ability to multiply those things that God's entrusted all of us with as believers. So the key point is that every one of us as believers have the same access to what was purchased. By Christ. Now here's just a couple examples. The first one's from 1 Corinthians chapter 3: 21 and 23. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Isn't, isn't that interesting? That's hard to to grasp, but Paul's saying everything is yours in Christ. Everything. Ephesians 1.3 says something similar. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What's that mean? We all have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ because he purchased for us us all on the cross. We have the same access. Okay. So, every blessing's ours, but they're received by faith and multiplied by using them to advance the kingdom. So, for example, giving, sowing, serving are ways we, remember we talked about this last time in 1 Peter 4, the ways we steward God's grace that he's given us by serving. And if we're faithful to use it to advance the kingdom, we're going to multiply what he's given us. Now, here's just some examples 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Paul. That's after the list of all the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, he has two different lists. This is after the second one. And that's that's an imperative. That's actually an exhortation. That's not a suggestion. In other words, I think it's a matter of obedience whether we, we do that or not. He says eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The greater gifts, not just anyone, the ones that are the most awesome. Now, if, if just in case we, you know, Paul probably anticipated some of us would be like, are you saying to, are you actually saying to eagerly desire spiritual gifts? One chapter later, he repeats himself, just in case we didn't believe him. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. <laughs> and someday I'll probably talk about that, why he says Prophecy. That's another story for another day. The point is, we're supposed to eagerly desire your spiritual gifts, and if we do, God's going to give them to us, and we're going to, he'll enable us to use them for his glory to serve others and multiply, right, advance the kingdom with them. Matthew 7, 11, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? That's another story for another day. Some of you heard my message on asking, seeking, and knocking. along That was almost a year ago now, I guess, last August. But the point is, We have to ask. And if we ask, God will give us good gifts. And if he gives us good gifts, we have the ability to advance the kingdom more. He's the one who supplies the seed. But we actually have a part to play. We have to receive it by faith and use it to advance his kingdom. We can all do this. We're all the body of Christ. So the point is we're to take what we've been given and multiply to the glory of God. That's the point of the second parable. And we can all do it as believers. Okay, so... Now, this is a lot of text, but, but I, I'm, I'm repeating and emphasizing these things for a reason. To distinguish this from the talents, to make it ex- absolutely clear. Okay, so Jesus only addresses three. Notice there was ten servants, but Jesus only addresses three of the ten to illustrate the point. Whereas in the parable of the talents, there's three servants, right? So they're all given the exact same amount, but one person multiplied it tenfold, another fivefold, another didn't do anything with it. And the rewards differed and increased in direct proportion to how well they did business. Their success directly determined how many cities they ruled over. It was up to them. So, the manner in which we multiply what's entrusted to us in this life will directly determine how much authority is given to us in the age to come. That's the point of that parable. Now, the other thing that I I want to repeat is this parable shows that each servant had the opportunity to multiply his mina many times over. We all do. We're all on the equal playing ground here, right? We all have one mina, so to speak. And we all have the ability to multiply many times over. In regard to our personal life, we can spread the kingdom as much or as little as we would like. It's really up to us. So here's just some examples. Fasting. Praying, witnessing to others, sowing, the choice is ours, how much we do these things, right? It really is. Now, of course, some people are called to pray more than others. I I get that. But the point is, we could all, right? We can all do nothing for our lives, not even think about this stuff, or we could use what God's entrusted to each one of us to advance the kingdom as much or as little as we'd like. Okay, so with that being said then, I want to give you some scriptural examples of multiplication. So what exactly can we multiply in this life? And I don't have time to, to go into a whole bunch, but I want to emphasize a couple. Now, the first one I want to talk about is multiplication through sowing and reaping. That is, if, if you don't get any other principle in the kingdom, get a, get a hold of sowing and reaping because that's a big one. That's how the kingdom operates, according to Jesus, in Matthew 13. Now that that must be a Mac issue. My, the font's supposed to be bigger than that, but I'll just read it to you. This is John 12:24. For some reason, it's making it smaller up there. Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus contextually is talking about himself. And so, right, he's explaining why he has to, if if I don't die, then this is going to die with me. But if I die, a huge harvest is going to come as a result, okay, sowing and reaping. And so it's better that I go, right? He's trying to console them. And that right, his death and resurrection is still producing unspeakable harvests. We're a result of it still, 2,000 years later, Right? And so, thank God that Jesus was obedient unto death for the joy set before him. He endured the shame, right? So that God would have many sons and daughters. And we're all a product of that. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so we're talking about multiplication through sowing and reaping. This is a really well-known one, and for good reason. This is Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps... What he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And don't grow weary in doing good to all people because if you don't give up, you're gonna reap the promised harvest talking about multiplication. It's up to us how much good we do in some ways, right? And so the more good we do, the more harvest of righteousness is coming our way according to this parable. So don't grow weary because it's gonna come. You just have to stay in faith believing it's gonna come because he promises it. But he actually says, if you don't believe that, if this principle of sowing and reaping, that you're mock this is saying it kind of strong, mocking God. Isn't that what it says? God won't be mocked because this law, it's a spiritual law of sowing and reaping is going to happen. Don't be deceived, right? The awesome thing is now, of course, if we do bad, that's bad. We're going to reap destruction. But if we do good, we're going to reap a harvest of righteousness that's going to endure forever, if we don't give up. So let's not give up. Let's keep doing good. Okay, here's another one. Luke 6, 37 and 38. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. 38, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, of course, contextually, this is talking about a bunch of things. Judgment, right? Condem- condemnation. It's also talking about forgiveness. You want other people to forgive you, you forgive them. But this principle's beyond that. Because this is the principle of sowing sowing and reaping. Give and it'll be given to you. So whatever it is you're sowing, whether it's mercy, which we should be sowing, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's not good stuff like judgment, that's gonna come back to you because it's a spiritual law in good measure. So the more you do it, the more it's coming back to you. So it's good news and it's bad news if you're doing bad things. The good news is if you're doing good things, the good is gonna come back to you many times over, right? With the measure you use, so the bigger the measure... The more it's coming back to you, so the more merciful you are, the more mercy you're gonna get. Isn't that awesome? So it's a good, it's an awesome principle if you're using it for righteousness' sake, right? Now, one thing I want to focus on, because this is, I thank God, I, I really do. I thank God that when I was saved early on, I went to a really good church, a Bible-believing church. The preacher's awesome. In fact, how many of you heard You probably haven't, but Church of the Rock from Winnipeg. Oh, have you seen, the, he's on TV. Mark Hughes, that's where I got saved. Okay. He taught on, on giving, and, and I, I was so blessed. I heard this early on, and I was like, this is awesome. And I thank God for that revelation, and if you can get a hold of it, and that's why I want to share it. I, it actually excites me. I'm, I'm not doing this for any other reason than I'm excited, and I want to share it with you if you can get a hold of this. One of the reasons I like it is because we're talking about sowing and reaping. This is a tangible tangible thing you can do, and you can see tangible results and that's why I believe Jesus uses money in the talents of the parables and the minas, because it's tangible, right? You have one minor, you got ten more, that's measurable. Okay, so multiplication through giving and this gets me excited because i I just I love I lo- God's promises are so amazing when it comes to giving. it's just <laughs> I was watching Rick Joyner recently. This is kind of funny, maybe offensive. But someone, someone was <laughs> angry with him, and he's like, tithing's not the new covenant. And Rick Joyner's just like, well, he, he believes it is. That's arguable, whatever. But he's like in Hebrews 7. But he's like, even if it's not, have you read the promises on giving? Like, you would be foolish not to give. It's like better than the lottery." Right, if you believe the promises and giving, like they, why wouldn't you? Why would you argue you argue way out of something so amazing? Like the return is phenomenal. You're never going to get a better return, and the, the return is eternal, right? And then the guy's like, "Well, do you do you tithe off of uh, uh, gross or net?" And Rick's like, "Why would you chance it? Just tithe off net, you know, or whatever, or gross rather. Why? Why? Like, why are you trying to like you know like the, have you read the promises?" Is the point. So whether you believe in tithing or not, if you can get a whole, you know what the principle is? Generosity. I think tithing limits it. Is, is if, you, if there's a problem with tithing, because you could argue it's Old Testament, is that it, it limits you to 10%. So people who are living by the law of 10%, they're not going to ever give more because they're like, I don't have to give more. It's only 10. No, the principle is generosity. I think 10 the minimum. You know, oh, I'm going to get into that. Ten's probably the... If you really believe and you are grateful for what God's given you, right? Like, we want to give. It's an act of worship, thanking God for his amazing provision, especially us as Canadians. Even if you're poor in Canada, you're rich in the grand scheme of things if you compare yourself to the world. So... It's awesome. And that's what I'm trying to do is just share the promises of giving. Because if you can get a hold of the promises and you believe it and receive it for yourself, you're gonna, and I've seen this in my life. This is why it gets me excited because I know it, I know it. I, I know it. With a, I know that I know that I know that I know that. I, this is all true. I've seen it. God is faithful. And in fact, you look at Malachi 3 when he, when he talks about tithings and offerings, he says, test me on this. It's the only time in the entire Bible God says, test me, that I won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you won't even have room enough to receive it. Yes and amen, right? So God is an extravagant giver, extravagant. He gave his only son so that he could have many children in his family. I I talked to you about uh, John 12. That's what Jesus says. Unless I die, right? But if I die, there's going to be a huge harvest God wanted that because he wants a family for eternity. And because of what Christ did on the cross, we are sons and daughters of the living God forever and ever and ever. That's what it says. I mean, the joy set before Jesus. So God gave his son. I mean, it doesn't get any more extravagant than that, does it? As we come to know God intimately, we'll also become cheerful and generous givers as imitators of him. If, right, if we have a revelation of how extravagant God is, how extravagant he, then, it's, then, then it changes your perspectives. I want to give back to God. It's a privilege and an honor to give back a little portion of what he, you know, in the Old Testament, the tithe was actually a way of boasting in the Lord because they would bring the offerings. Like back then it was actual sac, like sacrifices and grain. The more you had is like, look how much the Lord blessed me this year. It was actually a way of boasting in the Lord, Right? What's the point? It's an honor and a privilege to give back a portion of what he's given you. It's it's a blessing. It's like, my goodness, thank you, Jesus, for blessing me so much. Thank you. It's just a way of giving thanks. So Luke 6, 35 and 36. This is interesting. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Lend to your enemies, right? Right? then your reward will be great. He's talking about eternity now. Your reward's going to be great if you actually do this. And you'll be children of the most high God because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. That's what I'm saying here. God is extravagant, even to his enemies, right? Even when we were his enemies, he loved us. And gave his son for us. He makes the sun shine on both the wicked and the, and the righteous, it says in Matthew. Okay? So the point is, if, if we can get a hold of God and who he is and become imitators of him, we're going to be generous like that and actually give to our enemies. And we're going to get an extravagant reward as a result, he says. I love that because Jesus promises more than anyone else in the entire Bible, and I'm going to talk about this more someday, rewards for things and he's not shy about it so anyway that's another story for another day giving in faith is another way to multiply what we have this is my point talking about minus it can multiply what we possess to eternally affect lives that's the beauty of it we can use what God's entrusted with us to to impact eternity just as the Father did with Jesus. So look at this. Is, this is an interesting. I, I'm not reading the parable, but there's a whole parable before this, and God actually commends the person of the parable for being shrewd. <laughs> but anyway, this is Luke 16:9. This is Jesus talking. I tell you, use worldly wealth, worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What's he saying? Use worldly wealth to impact people for eternity and you're going to have friends forever and ever and ever who are going to welcome you in their eternal dwellings because of you used money, worldly wealth, to impact people for the kingdom, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Use the wealth I'm giving you for eternity, not for temporal. Now, it's not wrong to do temporal. Don't get me wrong, right? Right? My point is this is Jesus' exhortation saying, hey, this is not only okay, it's an exhortation to use money to get friends forever, to impact people for eternity. Then in verse 10, he goes on. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. He's talking about money. Verse 11, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches. Talking about eternity. Talking about stewardship. How we steward our money, Jesus is saying, is going to determine how much the Lord entrusts you with true riches. It's actually a test. How are you going to handle what I've given you in this life? Because if you're dishonest and you're not stewarding it well, why would the Father entrust you with true eternal riches that are going to last forever? that's why he's using money in the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas to show this principle. That how we steward what we're entrusted with is going to determine and impact eternity. So it's an important thing, and it does, God doesn't take it lightly. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So... God looks at how we steward finances on earth to determine how much he'll entrust us with true riches for eternity. That's why I'm talking about this. And like I said, this is a good example, though there's many things we can multiply, so to speak. It's a good example, not only because money's being used in the parable, because it's tangible, like I said. You can see the impact of what your money's doing, and you can see the return typically. Not always, but typically. So the key point is our money... If used for the kingdom can affect the quality of life in heaven for eternity. Not only Jesus says, win for yourself friends, right? We're going to have many friends potentially if we use money to impact them for eternity. But like I said, and I'll make this point again, that our authority in heaven is directly proportional to how we steer what God's given us in this life. So it doesn't matter how much or little you, this is the beauty of it. Doesn't matter how much or little you have financially, as long as you sow the seed, you can multiply your efforts in building the kingdom. Doesn't matter how much you have, okay? And here's a parable that illustrates this. I love this. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat, I get a kick out of this. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched. As the crowds dropped in their money. Jesus is sitting there watching. How much is this guy going to give? Isn't that interesting? Okay. So he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Copper coins. They're like pennies. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more. More. Than all of the others who are making contributions. How does that work, Jesus? She actually gave less. No, she gave more. Why? For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. What's the point? The key principle is that God bases his assessment of giving off percentage, not off the total amount. It's percentage. It's the same, If it's analogous, it's not the same, it's analogous to the principle of the talents. The two person doubled it and got two more. The five person doubled it and got five more. They got the same praise because the five person had five more to begin with. In the same way, if you have $100,000 and you give $10,000, that's the same as if you have $10, you give a dollar. It's percentage. Okay? So... If you are poor, so to speak, you can give way more than rich people can in the economy of God. So you don't have to be a rich person, oh, I'm only giving this, whatever, $2, that's all I can afford. If that's 20% of all you have, then that's more than the person who gave 100,000 if they have a million. Does that make sense? All right. So that's the beauty of it. We can all do this as the point. We all have the one mina. We can all do this. There's no excuse, no matter how much money we have. Here's another, I just love giving promises. Because, right, 2 Corinthians 1.20, I love this promise. The promise of promises, no matter how many promises God has made, they're all yes in Christ, all of them. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We partner with him. We say amen. But all of his promises, are yes. So you see a promise in scripture, it's yes. It's not no, it's not maybe, it's yes. Yes and amen. This is Jesus Christ talking. He's not a liar. A lot of these are hard to uh, uh, believe (laughs) because they're so good to be true, but it's Jesus. Okay? So truly I tell you, Mark 10, 29 and 31, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, in case you're wondering. Along with persecutions. That's not fun. And in the age to come, eternal life. So it's not only going to give you a hundredfold return in this age, but in the age to come, you're going to see a return as well. If you give it for him in the gospel is the key there, isn't it? Okay? But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So this is why, like, why are we nitpicking over tithing? Like, we should all want to give, like, 100% of what we have if this is true because it's better than winning the lottery. Like, how many investments do you know is guaranteed a hundredfold return? Zero, except kingdom of heaven economy, right? Okay, here's some more promises. Proverbs 11, 23 to 25. The godly can look forward to a reward, while the wicked can expect only judgment. 24 Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others themselves will be refreshed. The kingdom of heaven is like opposite of ours. The more you give, the more you get back, right? It's not like the world He promises if you're generous, you're going to get a whole bunch more. You're going to be wealthy, in fact. If you're stingy, you're going to lose everything, like the one talent person. Right? So generosity is a virtue. And I'm going to show you that more in the New Testament in a minute. Generosity is the principle. Okay? People get stuck on how much to give. That's irrelevant. If you're basing it off generosity, that's irrelevant. The question becomes is this generous or is it stingy <laughs> right okay and let me show you this in the new testament i love this and, and you'll recognize this because i pray this almost every time i do the offering talk because it's so good again if you believe this it is so good there, there it doesn't get much better than this in terms of promises No, it does but i'm talking about financially now this is talking about finances okay second corinthians 9 6 through 11 Remember this, and and you, this sounds like Proverbs. If you just listen, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Right? That's the principle: generosity. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm going to go in detail. I'll just read this and go in detail in a minute. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Okay, verse 9. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. We're talking about eternity. Verse ten. Now he who supplies seed, so it's God who supplies you the seed, to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made, sorry, this is the new translation. The old one says you'll be made rich in every way. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's the point. This is why God's going to make you rich in every way. So that You'll be generous on every occasion. That's the principle. Now, I love, this is the outcome. This is why we should all seek to be generous. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's all about the glory of God. So the more generous you are, the more praise and thanksgiving is going to go up to God because of your generosity. So we can actually facilitate and serve as catalysts to people praising God through our generosity. It's really an awesome thing. So I'm going to just go through this a little more. I just read the entire thing verse by verse to make a few points. Okay, so back to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Nothing about tithing. Generosity is the principle. Key point, our eternal harvest slash reward is in direct proportion to how much we sow. If we're generous, then our giving is greatly multiplied. The parable of the minas. That guy who had one, sowed it, got 10 more. You take charge of 10 cities, right? Multiplying. We can multiply through generosity. And it's, it's impacting people for eternity. That's what's awesome about it. That's what's awesome about it. It's not just like we're trying to get your money because I'm not at all. In fact, I'm, I want to, because I'm so blessed by this principle and I believe, I could, this, is one of those, this is one of those things that no one can convince me otherwise because I've seen it over and over. I could tell you testimony after testimony in my own life of God being faithful and true to these promises. It's amazing. And so this is for you guys. Why not use, like Jesus exhorts us, worldly wealth to impact eternity because we can, and it's a privilege. What else are you going to spend your money on? Like Jesus says, store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. Because if if your treasure's on earth, it's going to go. It's just, it's gone one day. Store for yourself treasures in heaven, right? As Jesus' exhortation does, in the context of money. It's... Uh, It's amazing. The return, it it doesn't get any better than this in all eternity. The return is huge in this age of our giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. We are not under law anymore. We are in a new covenant I hope you guys all know that. Under the law, they were forced to do this. Okay, under compulsion or under reluctance. I don't want to, but I guess I will. No, because God loves a cheerful giver. We're in a new covenant. We get to give. It is a privilege and an honor to give. And God loves it when we're cheerful about it. You know, and when you get a hold of this, you become cheerful about it. Because you're like, yeah, I get to give. It's really phenomenal. Because, like, if you can really get a hold of these things, these few principles I'm sharing, and you believe it, it makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Now, I made this point a lot in previous messages, so hopefully we all know this by now. Attitudes and motives really matter. And Jesus is clear, and I've given you scripture after scripture in the past on this, that we're going to be assessed by our motives, So this is saying our attitude is that we should give cheerfully, not reluctantly, or because you're being forced. Okay, so if we're giving out of law because we're being forced, you have to do this. The principle is still going to happen. You're still going to get a return. But God's saying, no, I want a cheerful giver. Don't give for those motives or attitudes because your attitudes are going to affect your motives. And if your attitude is, I got to do this, that's not going to be good. Because you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to be like, you did this reluctantly and out of compulsion, right? And I don't know. Hopefully he'll still give you reward, but I, I don't know. We want to get a hold of these things and meditate on them and see the glory, the glory of giving and what that means for eternity. And, and you're going to not, believe me, you are not going to regret any penny that you've given for eternity. I guarantee probably all of us are going to wish we gave more. When we see how amazing it is, because we like you give a seed and you usually forget about it in a few months. God never forgets, and all of these promises He's given us for eternity are yes and amen. You're going to see it, right? And so you can't outgive God. You can't. It's impossible. Isaiah 1:19. We're talking about attitude. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of things of the land. Both, not just obedient. Right? He's saying you've got to be willing to. Your attitude matters. If you're doing things, like we talked about this last week, on the outside it looks good, inside you're doing it out of envy or selfish ambition, or in this case, reluctance or compulsion. Willing and obedient is, is critical. Attitudes and motives matter. So if you can get a hold of the fact that it's an act of worship, that it's, a, it's an act of worship that's a fragrant offering to God, then that's going to change, right? You're going to be this is awesome. I get to worship God with the provision he's given me through giving. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now to he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So what's this saying? I'm going to focus on the seed part right now. Just as in the natural, a seed will have the, has the potential to produce a huge return, so it is with our finances. Think of an apple. An apple has a bunch of seeds in it. Say you sow those seeds, they produce eventually trees, which produce way more apples every single year. Those apples have seeds in them, and is the potential for you to plant more trees that produce more apples. Think of the return you can get if you actually take the seeds, sow them, and use the apples to continue sowing, right? Huge Potential for a huge harvest. And that's what God's saying. I supply the seed, but I'll also increase your store of seed if you give. You have to plant those apple seeds. You actually have to give for these to promises to happen, for God to increase your store of seed. Now, the second part of this is enlarging your harvest of righteousness. So enlarging our harvest of righteousness speaks of increasing our harvest of eternal rewards From the lives we bless through giving, and we already talked about this, right? If we use worldly wealth to bless people, it's going to impact eternity. We're going to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This is like multiplying our minas in that parable. All of us can do this is the point. We can all do this. This is one way we can impact eternity forever. Okay, verses 8 and 11, I love this, but I want to, uh, these are the promises, these are the outcomes Of giving verse 8 now God is able to bless you abundantly in the old version it says make all grace abound to you which is actually in the Greek so that in all things at all times having all that you need you'll abound in every good work the point is so that you'll abound in every good work and that's reiterated in verse 11 you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous On every occasion. That's the point. God's gonna bless you crazy amounts so that you can be generous. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's awesome. So, God makes us rich so we can be generous, which glorifies Him, is the beauty of it. We're blessed to be a blessing. It's awesome. Our giving to others, especially those in need who can't repay us, brings reward, both now in this life and in the judgment seat. This is Luke 14, 12 and 13. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and then you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed... Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So anytime we give or bless someone who can't repay us now, Jesus promises when I come back on the judgment seat, you're going to get rewards for every time you bless someone who can't repay you. It's awesome. This is the last scripture I want to give you. I've talked about this before but, um, an offering, but I want to mention this again. This is now, if you read the book of Philippians, the, 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 there's so much I can say about this, but the Philippians were partners with Paul in the gospel. They gave, they supported his ministry. Imagine you were one of the people who supported Paul's ministry and the book of Philippians is written and it's reaping still eternal harvest because you gave. To Paul's ministry. We can partner with ministries is the point to spread the gospel and impact eternity. So this is Philippians 4, 14 through 19. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sat, uh, set out for Macedonia, no one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more will be credited to your account. Isn't that awesome? That's what I'm doing here. My desire is you guys, more the more you give the more is going to be credited to your heavenly account is what he's saying. Okay? I've received full payment and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you send, Get this. This is where it's saying it's worship. It's a frag, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The same language God uses in the Old Testament for animal sacrifices. Now, get, here's the promise. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The promise. God will meet all of your needs. What's the promise come from? Partnering with, in this case, Paul, the ministries. And he says, the more you part, the more you help with the spreading of the gospel, the more is in your heavenly account, right? And not only is that the case, he's going to supply all your needs in, the, in this age too, is the promise. So giving is glorious. So in multiplying your efforts to build the kingdom, we focused on giving because, like I said, that's tangible. But, the, but there's more, you can multiply, and I'm just going to go bam, bam, bam. You can do, these are just a few. Other ways we can multiply our, man, our minas, all of us can, through prayer. Multiplication through serving. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all, Jesus said. You want to be great in the kingdom, authority, position, serve. Multiplication through partnering, talked about that with Paul, through, with others. Multiplication through fasting. Multiplication through doing good to others. We talked about Galatians, right? Don't grow weary in doing good to others, sowing to please the Spirit, because then you'll reap a harvest if you don't lose heart. These are just a few, and I could talk about all of these in return. But we all know what these are, right? It's probably not necessary, other than to say there's so many ways we can multiply our minds. All of us can. We're all on the same level, so to speak, right? And the more we do with what we've been given, the more potential we have for eternity to rule and reign with Christ, the more authority we have, So this is the summary. The parable of the mina shows that each servant has the opportunity to multiply his mina many times over. In regard to our personal life, we can spread the kingdom as much or as little as we would like. It's up to us. Final exhortation, no limits. There's no limits how much we can go, how far we can go with multiplication in these ways. No limits. So... It's an awesome thing. We're called to be stewards with what God's entrusted us and we can all do our part. No matter, right, whether we're one, two, five talents because we all have the opportunity to impact the kingdom. So I just want to pray for us as we're close. Father, I thank you so much for your promises that come to us that we have an honor and privilege to multiply for your kingdom with what you've given us in this life. Lord, I ask that the the promises, we thank you that your promises are yes and amen, and we thank you that you say that if we pray anything according to your will, we know that you hear us, and if we know that you hear us, we know we have whatever we've asked with you. So we just pray in accordance to your will, Lord, that... All of these precious promises, we thank you that they're all yes in Christ, and, and we just say amen to all of them. Lord, I ask for the revelation of the privilege and honor it is to multiply your kingdom through giving and through praying and through all these ways that we each can use what you've given us to bless others for eternity. Lord, I ask that the, the, this revelation of how we can impact eternity, no matter what we're called to do, whether we're called to be a housewife or to be an evangelist to the nations, Lord, that we can all do these things to multiply the minors you've given us. So God, I just ask that you continue to speak to each and one of us and show us the ways that we can partner with others in your spirit and with Jesus Christ to multiply your kingdom for eternity and to bless others forever and ever. We thank you for this opportunity. May all this be a fragrant offering to you, Father. Thank you for all the faithful givers and people who serve and pray for this ministry. And I thank you according to your promise that you're gonna supply all their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you. Amen. Amen.